Hey everybody, welcome. My name is Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I want to say hi to everybody at our Torrance campus. We're connected live with you guys there on Lomita Boulevard, and I also want to say hi to everybody that is online watching right now. Uh, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Isn't it a great day? Let's give it up for our moms, our moms-in-law, our adopted moms, our foster moms, our moms-to-be, even our spiritual moms, those moms that maybe we're not related to by law or by genetics, but they love us, they pray for us, they help us go through life in a great way. Um, my uh, mother-in-law was here at the first service uh, right before this, and then my, my mom comes every week uh, here. She was here at our last service. One of my favorite pictures of my mom and I is this. When I was a kid, there's me on her lap. Look how excited she is in this picture. This is pre-eye roll, you can tell. Once the picture was snapped, she's like, I gotta deal with this kid. I love this picture so much. I was like, hey mom, could we recreate this? So a few years ago, we recreated it and here's, here's my mom and I again. <laughs> Same look on her face, it was great. She's a good sport for it. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Mother's Day is actually the uh, third highest attended church services in the calendar year, Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. And I think that's because this is the day when all of you moms go, now I can finally get my kids to church to come with me, right? <laughs> or there might be some of, so some of you might be here because your mom was like, would you come to church with me? Uh, some of you might be here because maybe you're visiting your kids' church. Maybe your kids go here or your grandkids come here, and you're like, I want to visit. And I hope this service and what I'm going to be sharing today will be encouraging to you that you'll walk out, you'll go, that's what I wanted my kids to hear. Or that you'll be like, boy, I'm so glad that my kids are involved in a church like that. This is, I want you to keep being involved in that. Just this last week, I was reading one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And in this book of the New Testament, the writer of this book, his name is Paul, and he was one of Christianity's first missionaries. And he describes going into an area and sharing the good news with people and he describes what he was doing with he and his friends, and he uses a motherhood metaphor, because he was like, nothing can better capture what we were trying to do than comparing it to moms. Here's what he says. He says, we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. He's like, you know what moms do? They want to share God's love, and you know how they do it? By giving up their whole life. And then Jesus used mom language when he was talking about what it means to follow him. There was a, an event in his life where he was in first century Palestine. He was standing up on a hill. He was looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he kind of spoke to the city's leaders about the people that were in the city. And look what he said. He said, how often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. There's like that, that tension that's there, right? That sometimes uh, it kind of reminds me that the mother-child relationship isn't always clean and simple and easy. It can be kind of messy. It can be a bit complex. The good part about it 
is that God wants to continue the parenting that we had and at times reparent us in some new and meaningful ways to help us better connect with him. So related to that, here's the main idea of what I want to talk to you about today. Like a loving mother, God wants the best for your spiritual life. That's what our our moms really want at the core, is they want us to be the best versions of ourselves, and they want us to be spiritually thriving and physically thriving and and healthy. Uh, My mom wants that. Every time I go to the doctor, my mom's like, how was the checkup? How are you doing? Did, you, did it come out all right? Is it fine? And I go to the doctor and they check my vitals and then my mom wants a report of my vitals. In some ways, that's probably a good metaphor for the spiritual life. What are the vitals for our spiritual life? How can we check our vitals to say, I'm spiritually healthy, I'm spiritually growing, I'm spiritually vibrant? Today, I want to share with you four signs of spiritual vitality. We're going to do kind of a spiritual vitals check. I want to share with you four things that Jesus said and how each one of them points to a vital sign for a healthy spiritual life. And then at the end, I want to give you an example from a woman in the Bible, in the pages of the Bible in history, that models and exemplifies these these four spiritual vital signs. Let's get into the first one. Here's something that Jesus said. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He uses the word yoke not as an egg yolk, or not that he's yoked. Uh, The word yoke refers to that wooden harness that goes on farm animals when they're plowing a field, and that heavy burden on a beast of burden. And what he's saying is, are you feeling that heaviness in your life? Are you feeling weighed down by work, by relationships, by school, by your emotions. Specifically, when Jesus says that his yoke is easy and he doesn't want people to be burdened, he's actually talking about the religious life. The people in Jesus' day felt a lot of pressure to obey all of God's commandments, and they were weighed down. They were like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And sometimes they were even like, you know what? This is so confusing and difficult. I'm thinking about giving up. Jesus is like, don't do that. Don't give up. If you're weighed down and burdened, he says, come to me. It's an invitation. If you're feeling weighed down and burdened, come to me. And that's really the first vital sign of a strong and healthy spiritual life. It's this, invitation. Let's put that, yeah, invitation. The spiritual life is not about obligation. It's about invitation. Jesus is continually saying, hey, come with me. Let's try this. Let's do this. He's inviting us into a new kind of spiritual life. And then he's saying, and while you're coming, why don't you invite a friend? Invitation, 
is so important. My mom was really good about invitation when I was growing up. She was always like, let's try piano lessons. Let's try swim lessons. Let's try this art class. Let's go to this camp. Because she was always wanting me to discover who I am really meant to be. And that's an experimentation time. But it always came through invitation. And then I had some neighbors in our neighborhood that added a spiritual component to that. They were like, we had this older couple that lived next door to me, and they were like, hey, would you like to come to our church? We're doing kind of a puppet show for kids. Hey, would you like this? They had these comic books that were actually graphic Bible stories. And they were like, would you, would you be interested in having some comic books? I had a friend down the street saying, hey, we're doing a summer kind of week-long thing where we're going to dress up in clothes and do plays and we're going to have games. It was what in that day they called vacation Bible school. But, and we do it too. It's like a kid's camp for the summer. I think you want to come with. And I didn't even know what was going on. I was like, I wasn't raised religious. I was like, yeah, I'll come. But I always had all these people inviting me into things. That's what the spiritual life is about. Are you an invitational person And do you respond to the invitations of Jesus? In fact, invitation is such a big part of the spiritual life that we include it as the first word in our mission statement as a church. Inviting you to follow Jesus to make a difference in your world. The core element of the spiritual life is I'm saying yes to Jesus' invitations. Would you like to say yes? Let's give it a try. Let's check our vital signs on this one. Here's a question. How are you with saying yes to invitations from Jesus? What is Jesus inviting you into? Maybe he's inviting you to step into some of the peace and comfort that comes from a closer relationship with him. Maybe he's inviting you to move away from those unhealthy things you feel like you have to do or you feel compulsed to do, or maybe those were survival strategies at some point in your life, and they're just not working anymore. And Jesus is like, hey, why don't you come with me? Let's do something new. Maybe Jesus is saying, hey, I'd love for you to invite a friend or a family member to come with me. Invitation is that first vital sign. If we're living a healthy, vibrant spiritual life, we will be inviting people, and we will be saying yes to invitations from God. Here's a second vital sign. Jesus said this, I'm giving you a new commandment. He got his followers together, and before he died, he got them together, and he said, I'm giving you a new commandment, and he said, love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. What Jesus was doing here is he was saying the spiritual life is not a solo sport, it's a team sport. And he said, what's going to be really helpful for you is if you come together and stay together because life is tough and we need each other and we need love from each other. The second vital sign of a healthy spiritual life is this, grouping. We made a verb out of the word group. I mean, it's, for lack of a better word, it's the idea that I am all about being in community with other people. When we have relationships with other people, that's where we get encouragement. 
That's where we get support. That's where we get challenged. Some of us, by personality or by culture, are radically individualistic. Jesus is inviting us into a shared spirituality. And not only is it good for us to be connected to each other and loving each other and supporting and encouraging and challenging, but being together as a group is actually what helps protect us when things get dangerous. I was on TikTok the other day and I saw a video of an animal that got away from the herd or the pack and then a predatorial animal came and attacked it and ripped it to pieces. I was like, oh my gosh. But I watched it too long. So now the only thing I get on TikTok is videos of animals chewing other animals up. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. These animals need to stick together. But as I was watching, and I was trying to scroll through and it kept coming up. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a great picture of the spiritual life. It's when we move away from Jesus and we move away from the people that God has brought into our lives for our encouragement and our challenge and our, and our accountability that we get into danger spots. You know who knew this more than anybody? One of P- Jesus' best friends, his name was Peter. Peter was so close to Jesus. And as Jesus started moving toward the end of his life and he started getting in trouble with the government authorities, Right around the time of Jesus' crucifixion, Peter backed away. He backed away from Jesus, and he backed away from the other disciples. In fact, he got to a point where he even denied that he knew Jesus. And he got into a bad, dark place in his life. Now, fortunately, Jesus circled back around and brought him back in. But I think that left a mark on Peter and gave him an important perspective that he wanted to share with the people of his day and with us. Because sometime later after that incident... Peter wrote a letter to the Christians of his day, and we have a copy of that letter in the New Testament of the Bible. And look what Peter says. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to do life in the herd, in the pack, not just for encouragement, not just for uh, comfort, but for safety. Because it's a dangerous world out there, physically as well as spiritually and emotionally. Now, when I say group, what I really mean is there's different kinds and sizes of groups that serve different functions in our lives. So I found this great diagram online. I wanted to share it with you. It's called the four spaces of belonging. So, for example, here we have what's called the public space. This is where you're connected in a group of 70 or more people. That's kind of like what we do in church services. We get together in a larger group, and there's something powerful about being together in a larger group. And it's very meaningful. And the main function of that larger experience is visibility. It's, I'm here. We're here. Some of you are online because you're like, I don't want to be visible. <laughs> I want to be online. I don't, I don't want to. I want to invite you into visibility in a larger group. And we know the power of belonging that happens when we're part of a large group like this. 
The next group that we're part of is about 20 to 50 people. This is our social space, and this is where I'm not just visible, but I'm available. How can you be available for 20 to 50 people? Well, here at this church, it happens through serving. We have people standing at the door greeting people when they come in. We have people downstairs helping out with the kids. We have people helping with the students. We have our tech team, our our worship team. We have our outreach teams. That's a social space where it's not as big as the visibility space, but I'm getting closer to people, and I'm able to connect with people. Now, there's another area of belonging. It's about 5 to 12 people, and that's our personal space. This is about accountability. I can't be accountable to 20 to 50 people, and I shouldn't be, but there should be 5 to 12 people that know me. They know my life. They know what's going on. If I'm missing, they notice and check up on me. You should have five or 12 people in your circle that if they're missing, you notice. Something's happening in their life. You know what's going on. That's that accountability. Here we do it through groups. We have groups that meet in the home. We have support groups. We have recovery groups. We have care groups. All kinds of ways that we can be connected with each other. It's not just the big group. It's the smaller group. And there's levels of belonging that change. And then the last one is this one. Two to four people. That intimate space, this is about vulnerability. These are the people that know your junk. They know the skeletons in your closet. They care about you and they love you. And they're also able to say, bro, come on. Like, girl, please. Right? (laughs) These are the people that you are really close with. The question is, how are you doing with these different spaces? Are you operating in each of these? Are you thriving in each of these? Is there an area that you're like, well, I have that one and I have this one, but I don't have that one? Let's do a vital check here. Here's the question. How are you at growing in your spiritual life with others? Maybe there's one of those spaces Jesus is inviting you to step into. Vital sign number three. Here's something that Jesus said. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus called himself the Son of Man at times. That was a title he used to say, while I am God in the flesh, I'm also one of you. I'm like you. I'm with you. And you know what I'm here to do? I'm not here to have you serve me. I'm here to serve you. And Jesus models a life of service. When I thought about the idea of serving and what that means, what came to my mind is that wonderful Mother's Day franchise of movies called the John Wick films. And and there's a phrase that Keanu Reeves says in every one of those movies. He says, I have served. I will be of service. That's my best Keanu Reeves imitation. But that's kind of throughout. And it especially comes up in these films when he's feeling conflicted about vying for his own desires versus needing to submit to a much bigger purpose in life. And he is compelled by this idea of service. What does this look like in my marriage, with my children, in my community, at my school, in my church? It's vital sign number three. Serving. You want to have a healthy, vibrant spiritual life? Where are you serving? 
My mother-in-law, uh, my wife, Marie, her, her, her mom, she, she does a really good job at emphasizing this idea of serving. She raised my wife to know life is not about you, and it's not about me. Jesus said the greatest commandments in the Bible is love God and love others. We live in a profoundly narcissistic culture. Everything folds in on ourselves. It's wonderful to continue to invest and, and empower people and, and give to people. Um, it's, it, it's, it's powerful to do that. But what we have to remember is that serving is actually what God wants us to be about. Ironically, the best way to become who you are authentically called to be is to make your life about helping other people become who, are, who they are authentically called to be. Serving. Question for you. Where are you serving with the love of Jesus? What does that look like for you? Being a good listener is a great way to be serving. Being a compassionate person when your friends are going through difficult time, that is a great example of serving. Serving can happen in our homes. It can happen in our relationships. And even at church, we have so many opportunities for people to serve. In fact, at church, it's our desire that each and every one of us is using our gifts and abilities for some reason greater than our own. How are you using your gifts? And you say, well, I'm not really into people. Great, we got non-people <laughs> serving opportunities. Some of you are like, I'm not really good with this, but I love holding babies. Great, we can get you holding babies. There's all kinds of opportunities. Check the vital sign. Where are you at when it comes to serving like Jesus did? We got one more vital sign, and it's kind of related to this idea of serving. And do we have the slide that we can put that up of Jesus' uh, last quote? Okay, here's one of the quotes that Jesus said. He said, give and it shall be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running over into your lap. The way that you give is how it will be given back to you. Isn't that amazing that I had that memorized? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how I had it memorized. Don't apply. Uh, I'll tell you how I had it memorized. Jesus is actually using an agricultural metaphor there. He's saying, imagine yourself with a basket of grain that's on your lap. Whoop, there it is. Imagine yourself with a basket of grain on your lap. You know how you can get more grain in that basket? Give away what's in the basket. It'll come back and then it'll overflow. Here's the idea that Jesus is teaching. When you are generous, God provides for you. And that's the fourth vital sign. Giving. It's right there. Giving. This is about generosity. The reason I had that Bible verse memorized is that was the Bible verse when the church that I became a Christian when I was 19 years old, that was the Bible verse they read before taking an offering every week. I heard it 
every week for seven years. And after that verse was read, everybody applauded. They were like, this is amazing. We get to give to God's work in the world? It was a radical thought because I grew up watching televangelists on TV and I was like, these guys are all about money. And then I read Jesus' teaching. I was like, wait a minute. Jesus is saying something radical here. He's saying generosity, the letting go of ourselves, the giving generously, even financially to the work of God is a key vital sign. And I'll say it was very countercultural to the day. Jesus existed, uh, when he was alive, he was in uh, Palestine, which was run uh, by the kind of the Greco-Roman government. And in Greco-Roman culture, the idea was you share your sexuality with as many as people as possible, but you hold on to your money and just share it with the person you're married with. Jesus flipped it upside down, and he said, you hold your sexuality privately with the person you're married with, and you give your money to everybody. It was completely countercultural. The idea is God is generous with you, so you be generous with God. And so there's a, a financial principle that I learned early on in my faith. I've shared this at the church here, but for those of you that are that are new with us, let me share it again. This is what was taught to me, and I recommend that parents teach their kids this as early as possible. The minute you start getting a dollar or two from grandma or grandpa, or you get money on your birthday, start instituting this principle. It will help your children in the future, I guarantee it. It's called the 10-10-80 rule. Here's the idea. Anytime you get any money, 10% of that money, no matter what the amount, could be a penny, could be a dollar, could be $100, 10% of that amount goes to the work of God through the local church. God's doing something in our community, you're giving to it financially. The second 10% goes to your savings. You're able to save up so you don't have to be financially dependent on people later in life. And then you learn to live off the remaining 80%. We need to learn to live off of 80% of what we make. Some of us live off of 100%. We've got no margin. Some of us live off of 120. Like we're in debt. We're, we're borrowing money to live, right? And especially here, I feel like in Southern California, we need extra strategy because we're paying 40, 50, 60% just for housing, right? We need extra strategy so that we can be generous. And the goal is be generous with God first. Don't leave it for the leftovers. As your children move on in life, you encourage them to increase these and decrease this. Wouldn't it be amazing if you're developing a discipline where you're like, yeah, I, I live on about 50% or less of what I make. And I've found a way to do that. And I believe based on what Jesus said, Jesus will help you with that. Because as you give, God doesn't say, oh, I'll just give back what you gave to me. No, I'm going to give back more. I'm going to make sure you are taken care of if you are giving to God's plan. That's God talking, not me. I'm not saying I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. God's, God says, you will be taking. I'm going to take care of you. Let's look at all four of these vitals again together. Let's just do a, a, a check on our spiritual health. How are you doing? 
You go in, they check your blood pressure, they check your weight, they check your height, maybe they take your blood. You're like, okay, here's the healthy areas, here's some things we need to adjust. What about you? Are there some areas where Jesus is like, I'd I'd like you to lean into this area this year. I want to remind you of this area. Hey, we've got some groups. We want to get you. Don't do your faith alone. You need some other people. Hey, you need to look more as your your spiritual life as being invitational, not, not, not obligational. And there's some people that haven't heard the good news in your life. Why don't you invite them to hear the good news? Maybe you're not serving anywhere. You know, the spiritual life is this unique combination between consuming and contributing. In Christian culture in the United States, we're very consumer-oriented. And, and we, we also tend to be um, um, selfish in that way. But in churches, it's feed me, feed me, feed me. But the spiritual life is a combination between the bib and the apron. At some point you say, I'm fed enough, I need to work this off with some serving. So it's keeping that balance. Where are you serving? And then some of you giving. Some of you are at that place where it's like, I've never actually financially given to God. Other people, you're like, yeah, I I have, but times are tough. And I kind of give to God when times are okay, but when they're not, then I don't. What would it be like if you prioritize that? And how might that change your spiritual life? And how would the process of giving actually connect you with a generous God? Let me close with giving you an example of somebody that I think models these four spiritual vitals in an amazing way. By the way, this, this, these four vitals, this is what we're focusing on the church, uh, at our church for the next two or three years. We're a multi-campus church, and so we're interested in creating more campuses so that more people can hear and connect with God in a meaningful way. But we feel like over the next couple of years, we're not going to start any new campuses. We're just going to focus on us getting healthy and vibrant in these areas. But let me give an example of somebody in the pages of the Bible in history that models this well. Her name is Phoebe. She appears at the end of one of the most significant theological books in the New Testament called the Letter to the Romans. Paul, who we mentioned earlier, wrote a letter to Christians living in Rome around 57 AD, and we have that letter just wonderfully preserved in the New Testament of the Bible. He finishes this amazing theological letter of what it means to live for God, and at the end of the letter, he thanks all the most significant people in his life. A list of 29 people, over half of them are women, and the first one is Phoebe. Here's what he says about her. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Sincrea. It doesn't say this in the Bible. I wrote that in just so I know how to pronounce that. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. It's a very simple statement, but this letter was originally written in the Greek language in the first century, and there's a few things in here that I want to point out to you that aren't obvious from reading it in English. So I did a little reading, and what's interesting is when he says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, what he's saying is, I'm inviting you to receive her. Please welcome her. He's saying, I'm inviting you to welcome this person, and would you welcome this person? There's this invitational hospitality that is at the core of Paul's desire for Phoebe. Phoebe comes in invited and welcomed. And she is welcoming the people in the area of Sincrea to come together to hear this letter. So there's all this invitational language. 
Also, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. That word, I commend, actually means that Phoebe delivered the letter, Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul wrote this letter, Phoebe delivered it, and if she didn't read it out loud herself, which was the normal custom of the deliverers of letters, she was considered the official interpreter of the content of the letter. That means she got a group of people together, and she was kind of the first expository teacher of the letter of Romans from Paul. So as they're together in a group, it's Phoebe who's helping people understand what the Bible says and how to apply it to their lives in a meaningful way. She's inviting, she's grouping, and she's serving. She's called a deacon. Now, this word, there's no deaconess in the original Greek language. It's a male term, but she's serving in this official church position. In fact, some churches today have an official position called a deacon. We used to have that. And the word deacon means server. Her life was defined by service, so much so she had a title, and it says here that um, welcome her as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. She wasn't just simply serving. This was a woman who served in a way where Everybody believed that she should be honored in a significant way because of her service. Inviting, grouping, serving, and one more. She has been helpful to many. Now, unfortunately, in our English translations, this is a nicely worded sentence, but in the Greek language, it's only one word. This entire sentence is one word, and it's this word, prostasis. And the word prostasis literally means patron or benefactor. What it means is Phoebe was a wealthy woman, and she used her money to fund God's work right in her local area of Sincrea. This was a woman, probably a widow, who had wealth, and she said, I'm going to use my wealth so that more people could hear about the love of Jesus. Phoebe is a model of spiritual vibrancy. What did we talk about today? Like a loving mother, God wants the best for your spiritual life. These spiritual vital signs. Where are you at with those? And how can you lean into those and grow in those as you move forward? That's what we're about as a church. That's what we believe is God's heart for the spiritual life. And we want to continue to help with that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close in prayer and and pray for moms and pray for us that we can live that life of spiritual vitality. And then I want to let you know, if you're new with us, maybe you're visiting, if you want to show up next week, next week we're starting a great new series called Lenses. And this is all about how to get closer to God and each other by looking at the genres of the Bible. The Bible is written in these different genres, and when we look through those genres, we can actually see God more clearly And, surprisingly, we can see each other more clearly. So it's going to be a great series to do. Let me pray for us and then uh, pray for moms. God, thank you so much for your desire for our spiritual lives. Thank you that your plan for our lives is so much bigger than ours. And sometimes, God, you're just pushing us into new areas of growth. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. 
Give us patience and give us rest so we can fully live the healthy spiritual life that you want us to live. And God, help us to do some good self-diagnosis, maybe some, some diagnosis in the group of some other loving people that know us so we can hold each other accountable and, and challenge each other in good ways. God, today we lift moms up to you. We thank you for the example that they have given of giving their lives for us and sharing the love of God. And, and where we have any complexity or challenge in those relationships, help us to see your loving parenting and reparenting that can help us move forward in a healthy way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.